Week five in the Pac-12 was absolutely amazing. The only unbeaten team fell. One coach goes crazy. Quarterbacks are falling by the wayside. And we find out that there is a saboteur amongst us. And we're going to break down all the Pac-12 teams, see who can still make the playoffs, and find out why Ralph wanted Arizona to win so bad he tried to sabotage UCLA. I'm George Reister with Ralph Amson, and this is the Pac-12 Apostles. Ralph, what a week in the Pac-12, man. Mike Leach, he melted down. You got quarterbacks dropping by the wayside. Khalil Tate Amson didn't even show up to the game. Well, he showed up to the game. He didn't play in the game. Oregon and Washington seem like the only teams that can make the playoffs. You sabotaged UCLA and because you wanted them to go 1-11. And, and then you're hot about the coaches poll. And I'm just lo- looking at you like, oh, really? Now you're upset, Ralph. What is going on? Uh, it's this good to week, talk man. to you. I'm uh, definitely UCLA fans are not my biggest fan right now, um, and I think we'll get into that in a little bit. But yeah, what what a week! Um, what a week! I, I'm 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 not gonna throw out the I told you so, but uh, um, we I, I I did pretty well. Oh my lord, dude! You kicked my butt this weekend. Every game that I picked different from you. The only game I won was the Washington USC game. I mean, Cal, Cal, and then you recruited an entire uh, Arizona State Army to gang up against me. Oh, ha ha, bad pick with Cal. Chase Garbers went down. If Chase Garbers doesn't go down, I win that game. I am correct. It's going to be a 10-point victory. Ralph, I don't understand why everybody's like, oh, ha, you you made a wrong pick. No, the quarterback got hurt. I can't well, do anything about Well, first of all, about uh, all, most of my followers, um, I, I'd say probably about 25% of my followers are Arizona State fans who aren't yet sick of me bringing up Khalil Tate in casual conversation. So that's just going to come with the, the territory. Um, and we'll get into the whole Cal thing, but I will just repeat what I said on Twitter over the weekend on this podcast, and that is that they scored more points with Devin Monster on the field than they did with Chase Garbers on the field. So it's kind of a moot point. Um, oh, oh, Ralph. Uh, th- that's what we're going with. They ran 12 straight plays, didn't even throw a pass and scored a touchdown, but you're going to give Devin Monster that drive? And they scored more points with him on the field than without him. That's that that I, I can only go off of the fact that he was responsible for ten points and Garbage was responsible for seven in a game where they scored seventeen. So what are you gonna do? And, and after the games, I, I saw you tweet something out because uh we put out our Pac twelve power rankings every Monday. We put out you know, our picks later on on the week on the Thursday edition of the podcast. We talk about who's great, who's not, all of this stuff. And, you know, I was hot about how you still had Washington ranked above Cal in the power rankings, despite Cal beating them. And now it's you who is mad about the coaches poll. Like, I, and, and I just wanted to laugh. Right. I agreed with you. But I was laughing, Ralph. I mean, what what okay. are you so well, upset Okay, well, let's about? let's be very fair. I think both of us still had Washington State ranked above UCLA after what happened last week. So this is going to happen sometimes, and it's really it's really going to come down to what your individual opinion is of any team at any given time. But the coaches' poll came out today, and it has Michigan State 
Michigan State is the only one of these tanks teams that I'm going to bring up that's even ranked. But it has Michigan State and Cal, which had the most votes of anybody outside the top 25. Michigan State and Cal, who each have one loss, and each of them have one loss at home, ahead of Arizona State, the team that gave them each that one loss. Arizona State has one loss. It happened at home, and they are ahead of Colorado, who only has one loss, which happened at home to Air Force. They are ahead of Air Force. The only team that Air Force lost to is Boise State, and Boise State's ranked 15th in the poll. The coaches' poll makes absolutely no sense. I mean, this is it, – it's it's egregious, man. You have a bunch of one-loss teams whose only loss is a home loss. Home losses are not flukes. Home losses to the teams that are behind them. And, and so – I don't exactly understand what the quote unquote coaches are trying to do here. And I think you brought up a really good point when you when you commented on that tweet, which was that like this poll isn't really coaches voting anyway. Yeah, it it is it's called the coaches poll. How the hell are coaches supposed to vote on who is the best team in the country? They don't even get a chance to watch everybody. They're focused on their team that week. And and the coaches poll is not actually comprised of all the coaches in the country. It's a bunch of coaches who volunteer to to rank, and then they choose from those like randomly each each week that those coaches are chosen randomly. And I'm like, this is absolute insanity to take 64 out of 130 random coaches, and you think that they know what's best. And then and then when you see their rankings, they have Alabama ranked number one. What? Excuse me. Alabama's played a grand total of nobody. Their team is 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 good, but this is ridiculous. And and we saw this a few weeks ago with Cal and Washington when I was so upset about it. And it, it makes no sense. It is I like there needs to be some rhyme, reason, and rationale. That's why when I come up with the power rankings, I'm all about three criteria: schedule play, dominance, and quality wins. And if you do that, you don't have to try to project out in the future of what a team can be. You just see what they are. You you just see what they are and 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 believe what you see. You don't have to try to make something else. Uh, but speaking of believing what you see, though, Mike Leach. Mike Leach had the <laughs> ultimate meltdown after his team got boat raced by Utah. So in back-to-back weeks, they lose to a 130-point game to UCLA, 32-point comeback, and then they let UCLA beat them twice. And he said his team was uh that that they just only played token defense on well, token offense and defense. He said they were slow uh he said he said they were fat, slow, and happy, and that they were reading their press clippings, and that that they were reading their press clippings, and they were happy. Do you agree with this, Ralph? Is this okay for Mike Leach to say? Oh man, he called his team. He called his own team soft repeatedly, and soft is just the worst thing that you can be. Um, now he's not the only coach to come out and and try to motivate his team by calling them soft. Danny Gonzalez, the Arizona State defensive coordinator, after the loss to Colorado came out and said we were soft. And he said that I mean, he's like, I literally mean that as the worst possible thing (laughs) that you can say about another human being. It didn't get as much press because, 
because he's a defensive coordinator and not a head coach and anything that Mike Leach says, um, you know, creates a stir anyway. Uh, my initial reaction to this was, I mean, I'm, I'm older now. I'm older than I used to be. I just realized today that I have spent, and I think on this podcast and in like 10 other places, I have told people that I was 36 in the last six months. <laughs> today I realized I'm 35. And so I, I'm already, I'm like leaning into adulthood even harder than I need to. Um, but I, it's natural to just kind of like have a disdain for people who are younger than you. I understand it. In the last two weeks, my oldest son, who's 11 years old, his voice has lowered like two octaves out of nowhere, <laughs> and I want to fight him. He hasn't done anything wrong. He's the sweetest, nicest, best kid in the world, and I like, I want to fight him right now. It's just like something in me that's just like, oh, this young man is like here to, to, to push my generation uh, out the door, and I, I don't even know where that comes from. So I, first of all, it's natural to just hate on kids. It's a completely natural thing. You just have to make sure that when you go about hating on kids, you don't do it in such a way that that paints you as so irrational that it justifies the way that yep. kids look at older people, right? And so he, you know, uh, first of all, Mike Leach is soft. Let's get that out of the way. Mike Leach has never gotten over a single thing that has ever happened to him in his entire career. He doesn't let things go. There is Nothing softer than permanently holding grudges. And I say that as somebody who has a tendency to hold a grudge every once in a while. It's the softest thing about me. It's the softest thing about anybody who does it, who doesn't just move on to the next thing. Um, I remember a couple years back when he called out Todd Graham and said that Arizona State, you know, they were cheaters. That postgame handshake, Todd Graham got in his face. <laughs> I've never seen a dude who looked like he never would have done anything in person more than Mike Leach looked in that instant right there like the, he 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 is truly soft he is all talk he is not going to say or do anything uh he's not gonna bust a grape in a fruit fight. no he's not gonna go walk those neighborhoods in california that he made fun of on twitter he's not gonna do it like <laughs> he, he he's he, he's calling out all these kids and i guarantee you that if one of them went latrell spreewell he would shit his pants like there's a, yeah, he'd be like, ah, help exactly. me, help okay. me, Jesus, yeah. help Which, me. again, no kid should ever do. But at the same time, like, if you're calling your kids, like, fat and soft and all this stuff, and one of them doesn't know how to not prove that he isn't, when you're calling his manhood into question, other than to just, like, get in your face, which is something, something you know, everybody wants to prove that they're not soft, right? And so, you know, he, I do not think that he would enjoy it. Let's just put it that way. Uh, See, I would have stopped if I, so first of all, Mike Litch is right in terms of what he said. He said, it's difficult to say how tough Utah is because they had token resistance on both sides of the ball from us. So you're saying soft team, but so, but but can you make that observation? Can you call an entire team soft based on taking a loss? You are as you are as strong as your weakest link. And I could okay. see, I could see Nick Saban saying the same thing. I think he said it prior. He was like, we were, we were soft today. We weren't physical. We, we were, uh, we feel entitled. We're not as focused as we need to be. So I think he was right. And he said, we get a lot of good press. We like to read it a lot. That's what, that's what, um, that's what, who, who says that Lane Kiffin and, Nick Saban about the rat poison. Don't eat the rat poison. 
We like to pat ourselves on the back. And if we get any resistance, we fold. It's the truth. But at, while that is true, guess whose fault that is? The head coach. And and I, I felt like okay. last I felt year, like he tried to go in that direction, but it was very much not clear that he was putting the blame on the coaches. He he tried to steer it that way, but he was so busy demeaning his own roster repeatedly that it didn't sink in when he tried to make that pivot and say it's the responsibility of the coaches to make sure these kids don't end up soft. And and that I'm because nobody it, read that. No, th- yeah, they aren't printing right. that part. Right. They aren't printing that part. The the quote stop with where he says they're fat, dumb, happy, and entitled. That's where the quote stop. They don't they don't show the whole rest of the thing because they want people to be outraged about it. But even it, it seemed like he blaming himself. He did say it, but it seemed as though he lacked conviction. He, he should have. I mean, that that was an opportunity to really chase the assistant coaches as hard as he chased the kids. And he didn't. It was just like, you know, uh, these kids are a bunch of worthless, nothing, nobody, idiot morons that we never should have recruited in the first place. And I guess that's our fault for recruiting them. Like, it was just like a little <laughs> aside, like, geez, dude, like, no, you you are getting paid a ridiculous amount of money to coach a game. Battles are won in preparation, and preparation is the reason that you cash that check. I, he didn't say one thing about Mike Leach is soft or Mike Leach didn't do a good oh, enough true. job. Like that never yep. came out of his mouth. It was just like, eh, maybe we didn't do a good enough job. And so I don't know. Dude, I, my, I, I've had head coaches and coaches in general say some really mean things to me. I had them say, son, you can screw up a free lunch. Son, you could mess up a wet dream. And I also had a coach tell me that that if, um oh, I I messed up at something. And I came over to the um, to the sideline. This is in high school. I said, "Sorry, sorry, coach. I messed I messed up." He was like, "Son, this is this is not your fault. Don't don't worry about you. It's my fault for putting you you in." I was like, "Oh Lord, yeah. I had just transferred schools. I thought I was never going to play again." Because <laughs> he said it with all his might. That's like, so passive aggressive. It, it is not your it is not your fault. You are okay. You are good. This is my fault. My fault for putting you in the game, putting you in that position, letting you go out there because I know you can't do it, essentially. That's that's such a backhanded compliment. I mean, just it's such a diss. That is so bad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just how do you go back into this locker room and just like look at all these kids? Like, I, hopefully he said it in person before he went out there. That That's the one saving. Like, if he said that exact thing to them in person before going and blasting them to the media and calling them out to see how they'll handle adversity the next time that they're out on the field, uh, fine. But you also you also plant a bomb. This is the one thing that I hate when coaches do this because you have to have some level of wanting to have self-preservation, right? So when you the let's say you have to go out there three, four weeks in a row and apologize for not getting your players prepared enough, at what point do people start to make that connection that like, oh, this guy is repeatedly <laughs> telling us he's not good at this job. Exactly. Like, maybe he is truly the issue. And, and, and you know, I don't want to uh, – I, I definitely do not believe that Washington State is um, soft as a generality. I think that that's too harsh. I think that they, I think that they played Correct. soft yep. when they let off the gas pedal against 
Um, UCLA. Then they played soft when they let off the gas pedal against UCLA. And then I think when everybody started to float things about, could they actually play in the weather in Salt Lake? Um, that was almost like pointing to, you know, these Washington state kids are too soft to be in that environment. And, 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 and it all sort of bled into, you know, what was going on. But the truth is like, they don't have a very good defensive. They're not a good defensive team skill wise. Uh, they're not a good defensive team schematically. They can't stop anybody. They made Tyler, Tyler Huntley. They made him look like a God. Yeah. He Um, was, he was doing everything that I said he could not do. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. well, he he must have him and Tyrone Willing Whittingham must have been listening to the to the podcast. He's flinging the ball downfield and all of this. But here is the thing: I think is the problem with Washington State. I think that we got fooled and kind of bought the Kool Aid a little too much last year. And I said this, and I hope that no, no nobody takes this as being insensitive. But sometimes there are there's extra motivation in sports, and with the and with their 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 the, the unfortunate passing of their quarterback Helensky in the spring, I think that the team had something to rally around. They had an emotional thing. Gardner Minshew came in; he was a good story. He was a really really good leader. And I think he galvanized the the team. They had a rallying cry kind of all season. And that's not there this year. So I think that that's the biggest difference from last year to this year. And sometimes it's just like that. So when he says we have the same kids, but it's different, I agree. You do have most of the same kids, but there is a big difference in kind of that motivation and all of that. Yeah, and I, you know, this is a guy that likes to, you know, quote Sun Tzu and stuff like that. I just, um, you know, I, I, you look at some of these quotes on leadership, and and you wonder if he's following his own advice. You know, with the the victorious warriors win first and then go to war, while defeated warriors go to war first and then seek to win. Like, uh, is going out and blowing up your team in the media going to war first and then seeking? To win is Mike Leach acting defeated, you know. So maybe he should open up, crack some of those books that he spends all his time, you know, focusing on, uh, and, and and find a little saying to figure out how he can get things right out there. Because I don't buy into the fact that he believes this is a will issue instead of a skill issue. I think that Washington State has a tough time getting kids out there. You end up putting a bunch of three-star recruits on the field, on the defensive side of the ball, graduating out some of your best ones, and you go up against some teams that have the ability to move the ball, that have some talent, you're going to screw up sometimes. It happens. Uh, it's it's really all in how you how you respond to that. And, uh, you know, offensively, that's his job. That's his scheme. He has to make sure that he has uh, the other team figured out. You know, the, if, if it's a matter of execution, fine, then make whatever changes – you know, you need to make, but to go out and just to say that, like, no, this is completely a will issue and not a skill issue. It wholeheartedly puts the blame on the players. There's no accountability for the coaches. You're just calling your kids mentally soft and saying that they're not, um, that they're not, they're not in the mindset to get it done. And I think that I, I think it's, it's intellectually dishonest to not admit that Washington state comes into some of these games at a little bit of a disadvantage and the thing that puts them over the top is really supposed to be innovative coaching. Oh, that that is for sure. That is for sure. I I 
I, I, I do believe that Mike Leach is a good coach. I think that he's up against it, like you were saying, recruiting and all of that. You, you know, you have different luxuries at UCLA, USC, Oregon, Washington, than you do at some other places. But speaking of UCLA, Ralph, I was watching the game. Mind you, you are the person who stood on the soapbox and said UCLA was only going to win one game this yeah. year, that they were going to go 1-11. and I was vehement, vehemently against that. I said they were going to win the Pac-12 South. They started 1-0. They were on the road to victory in Arizona. DTR gets hurt. Dorian Thompson-Robson, he was playing well. He gets hurt. They have to bring in their backup quarterback. They can't quite score quite as well. And then to top it all off, I'm watching the game. UCLA is getting ready. They're driving down. They're getting ready to kick a game-winning field goal. I'm sorry, a game-tying field goal, possibly. And they pan to the kicker, and I see just the kicker randomly bump into a person on the sideline. And I'm sitting there. I was like, oh, wow. Oh, my God, he bumped into the kicker. Oh, well, no big deal. Kid comes out, uh, makes the field goal, but Arizona calls a timeout. He comes back, and he shanks the next one. Game over. And then I get with, and then I come to do the Pac-12 Apostles podcast thinking everything is cool, everything is fine. And then and then Ralph was like, yeah, I was going to get some sound from the UCLA game, but I had to hightail it out of there. I was like, why? And he said, oh, because I bumped into the kicker, the UCLA kicker. I was like, that was you? Oh, my God. Ralph, this is the biggest conspiracy that I can think of. You said that they were going 1-11. You are Khalil Tate. You are Khalil Tate's father or or uncle cousin something. Khalil Tate Amsden, the Arizona Amsdens. UCLA is going to go tie the game, and you sabotaged them, Ralph. I, 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 am, I am up in arms. UCLA de- deserves a victory for this. I mean, college kickers stink, but at the end of the day, like, is this what you had to do to get a victory? Man, you have no idea how bad I feel about. Uh, let's just get this out of the way. Like, I was outside the box. I was you because a lot of the time reporters go down on the field with about five minutes left in the game, and so you know I'm down on the field. I'm taking some photos. I went down to Tucson. I was going to write a story on Khalil Tate. I was going to get some sound for the podcast. I get down there. I find out Khalil Tate's not playing. So it's going to be the Grant Gunnell show. He was at like at St. Pius in Houston. Threw for a ridiculous amount of yards. Six foot six quarterback. Um, really, really good player in high school. He's getting his first start. And so, you know, I'm, I'm watching the game and trying to figure out an angle of what I'm going to do. Uh, and by do, I don't mean sabotage UCLA. Um, and, uh, and, and Dorian Thompson Robinson, I mean, it it was a really, really weird game for him because he was sort of playing well. He had incredible accuracy issues and there's just not a lot that's creative about this scheme to get receivers out in the open. And so it was just, it, it was a pretty brutal slugfest up to that point. So I'm down on the field. I kind of make eye contact with JJ Molson, the kicker. And I'm, I, I, I don't know why I assumed, because I think most, most kickers do this. They kick from the inside. Correct. Um, yeah. Out like, and I'm on sidelines all the time, especially for high school. Yeah. Yeah. You kick like toward the end zone into the net. And, um, and so I'm on the sideline. I kind of like, I, I thought I made eye contact with him and, and then, uh, and I, I probably was there for a couple of minutes, and then he backs into me, 
and like my and I didn't realize that this happened on camera. I didn't realize that this got broadcast. But my immediate thought was just like complete panic because I know what it's like to, you know, have to be locked in. You're not supposed to talk to the kicker, right? Like you're supposed to just leave them alone and let them get in the zone. And so I felt so bad that, and, and, and so, you know, I moved out of the way so he could back up and get a practice kick. And as soon as he had that practice kick, I just hightailed it to the other end zone. And, um, and then he comes out and he hits the kick, but he got iced. Had he missed that first kick? I probably would have thrown up on the turf. Like I felt super just embarrassed that that even happened. And by that time I probably had like 20 text messages from people who, who saw me on TV running into the kicker. And, um, it was just like, man, I felt like I was going to have an anxiety attack on the sideline. And then he misses that second one. And I was just like, man, it's probably best that I just make my way out of the stadium. But at the end of the day, it's not your fault unless you, Unless when you bumped into him that like you had some sort of energy transference, like some sort of some sort of like voodoo bad juju that you like. I think it was the fact that you wanted UCLA to lose. It probably like transferred that energy (laughs) to him. Oh, man, it doesn't look it doesn't look good. So, yeah, I, I that was one of the things that I thought about last night on the drive back to uh uh, back back to central Arizona from Tucson was I was like, well, that's going to be like, that's going to be a dot that gets connected. But also, I mean, one conspiracy theory sort of cancels the other conspiracy theory out. Like, would I want Khalil Tate to, um, to lose like glory and shine to his backup more than I would want UCLA to get their second win of the season. Okay. So you kind of have to pick your conspiracy theory that you're going to go with. Um, oh, I will had, tell had, you had in, in all Tate actuality, played, like had Khalil Tate play, then, then this would have been more of a thing. And so, but yeah, so yeah, Arizona getting the win makes Khalil Tate look bad. Yep. Right. So um, it either it's a lose, lose for me either way, but I'm, I, I definitely like, uh, it real talk. And I think if, had you been in that situation and you got bumped into, uh, and, and it was broadcast at the same time, I think you would also felt like, oh, oh for it. sure. Like I, I just, yeah. And the text messages were just, and then somebody like someone down here who has like a sports radio show, um, his name's Kevin McCabe. He tweeted that I helped Arizona win. And I was like, oh man, like there's literally no getting away. And then a, a TV station, uh, anchor like picked it up and, and made a joke about it. And uh, at that point, I mean, I did. I let's just. I did not sleep well last night. I got called out by the pastor of my church for listening to the sermon with my eyes closed this morning. Listening to the sermon with my eyes closed. He texted my wife. He texted my wife that just said, "Like, hey, wake Ralph up." <laughs> Why does he have his phone in church? Well, so he wasn't the one preaching. He was. It was like one of the other. It was one of the other uh, pastors that was up preaching, and he—I mean, you—you you played against him. His Ricardo yeah. Stewart—he was a safety out at uh, Arizona State back in the day. And he texts my wife, who usually does music on Sundays, and was just like, "Hey, tell Ralph to oh, wake up." <laughs> and I was like, "So I thought that I couldn't feel any lower after what happened last night, but like, get my wife getting a text message during church from the pastor of the church, telling me that it's very obvious that I'm in the front row." like listening to a sermon with my eyes closed. Oh God. It's just, it's not been a great like last 24 hours. Um, but if I have to spike the football on UCLA, still only having one win, 
I don't even know if you I have the energy to do it. You don't even get to do that because you bumped the kicker. I was wondering why you weren't on the I told yeah. you so bandwagon so much because you had a piece of information that I did not have. <sighs> wow. Wow, 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 Rob. Jeez. But still, UCLA is still in position to win the Pac-12 South. It would have just been a lot easier starting out. They still yeah, could start have out mess, at yeah. 2-0. I mean, think about it. Even when they were like 4 and I- uh, what or three and six last year, they still had a chance to win the Pac 12 South. Same thing this year, except for they're going to yeah. pull it off. Some concerning things about UCLA the, in this game is their offensive line looked good about one out of every four snaps. There were a lot of false starts. <laughs> yeah, they did. They had one offensive line, I think, just fall over before a snap. Just fell on his butt. <laughs> yeah. It was like it was like an angels in the outfield type deal. Like someone just came and pushed him over. And the other thing I noticed is that they had a tendency to also get bullied by some players um, who were pretty young on the defensive line for for University of Arizona. They're a huge concern, but also it's weird that like there are certain there are certain pass formation sets where they all sort of come together and communicate where they look serviceable. But one-on-one, if you're spread out and you got any of those O-linemen going one-on-one against anybody who has ever seen a weight room, it's a problem. And I almost tweeted that like this I, – I deleted this tweet before I hit send because I thought it would be insensitive. But I was so ready to fire off from the press box in the second quarter, this offensive line is going to get Dorian Thompson-Robinson injured. And I just – I hate – because I was like, man, that's going to feel like a jinx. Like, Well – well, you 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 jinxed him and you hit the kicker in the same damn day, Ralph. Wow. Hey, can we um, can we talk about Grant Gannell? Can we talk about the fact that like yeah. that he threw 44 that he threw 29 passes in the first half of this game when Khalil Tate averages 27. Last night you saw hmm. the I wonder yeah, why. And so uh, last night it is very obvious that you saw what this Arizona team wants to be. Um they are I I'm have never been more convinced that they are counting down the days until Khalil Tate is no longer on campus because they For didn't sure. ask to have him there. He does not at all fit with anything that Noel Mazzoni wants to do. And last night I had just like crazy flashbacks to 2011 when Noel Mazzoni was the offensive coordinator for Arizona state. And he had six foot eight Brock Osweiler back there averaging 40 passes a game. And Grant Gannell, I mean, the most Khalil Tate's ever thrown in a game is 45. And the only reason that Grant Gannell didn't beat that by 15 last night, he ended up with 44, is because Arizona didn't even really have the ball in the second half. And so, he, and then they scored on a one-play 75-yard touchdown, which obviously limits the amount of pass attempts that you're going to get. But that, that offense that you saw from Arizona last night um, is what they want to run. They didn't have J.J. Taylor. Gary Brightwell, who I thought was going to get 25, 30 carries just because, you know, to protect a young quarterback, he had one carry in the first half. And I think yep. he what he finished with seven total carries. And so, I mean, this is it. This is what they want to do. Okay. The Arizona Here. you saw last night is the Arizona they want to be eventually. Okay, speaking of that, I had a conspiracy theory last last night, but I couldn't re- remember it. And I just remember, and I just thought about it right now. Khalil Tate is a true senior, right? He didn't read you. Yes, yes. So, so last night when I was watching the game. Khalil Tate was out with a quote unquote lower leg injury, lower body injury. Right. He was bouncing around on the sideline like nothing was wrong with him. He looked like he and was at a party. That, correct. And that got me to thinking. I was like, huh, 
Didn't we just see this last week? Yes. With De'Eric King at Houston, who decided to right. redshirt and then transfer. Right. And I'm thinking, hold up. Khalil Tate doesn't look hurt over there. Wasn't on the injury report. Maybe Khalil, maybe we have seen the last of Khalil Tate at Arizona, and we will see him pop up somewhere next year. Yeah, I mean, he had Am two I weeks crazy? off. No, you're not. And it's not It's not a conspiracy theory. It's justifiable paranoia. It's as close as you can get to, like, PTSD, right? Like, we just saw, and this is one of the reasons why I told you on our last podcast that I don't feel very good about what happened because now every time a quarterback sits out, that I mean, honestly, George, that was the first place that my mind went. And a bunch of people tweeted me, like, do you think he's gone like Derek King? And I was like, at this point, there's precedent. Maybe. And I mean, and, would and you? I, and I hinted if, at if, it at the if, podcast if last week. If you're thinking. I hinted at it. And then. Yeah. It's, it's, you didn't know you said that exact thing. Wow. And then when we were watching the game, I was like, he don't look hurt. He does not look hurt. No, he had, he had two weeks to get ready for this game. And so I, I he, here's the other thing. If you want to take Kevin Sumlin's word for it. Khalil Tate is not effective unless he has all of his tools at his disposal. So what's the point of even putting him out there if he's going to be the quarterback that he was at University of Houston last year where he had to throw the ball he's 45 got a, He's times. got a fever in his foot. That's, that's what it is. He, he's not, I don't yeah. know if he's and hurt so, because anybody with a lower body injury and that's not good enough to play, they are usually sitting down on the sideline or they won't have them on the sideline. That way they can get healed up. Didn't It did not look... It looks super suspect, super suspect. And yeah, and I don't want to be. I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist. And th- I don't. We would not have even brought this up if it wasn't for Derek King. But there's this part of you, like in the back, deep, deep recesses of your head, where someone like Khalil Tate, like, looks at Derek King and says, "Lincoln Riley would want me more than he'd want him." Maybe. Maybe I'll beat him to it. Like, and that. Why I even have those, this is why I didn't like what Derek King did, because now I'm Alex Jones 24-7, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, you are. I'm thinking about what they put in the water to make the freaking frogs gay. <laughs> like, that's all I'm thinking about. So, I, I don't know, man. You're not crazy. You're not crazy. And I don't think anybody who had those thoughts last night is crazy. And that was before you watched him having a good yep. time on the sidelines. Um, and- Okay, so now with the Pac-12, you have a couple teams ranked. You have uh, a couple one-loss teams. You have Arizona, who is a one-loss team, but they're clearly a non-factor in the national conversation in terms of a national championship. You have Utah, who is four and one, who kind of, I guess, is somewhere in there. But the two teams that are and you have Arizona State who's four and one, but they're not in the national conversation either because they're they're so young. They're offensive line. If they even like, it just doesn't seem possible that they could win the Pac-12. And if they did and got in the playoff, it would be an epic disaster. So it looks like the only two teams that have a real shot are Washington at four and one, and Oregon at four and four and one. So out of those teams, quote unquote, mathematically, according to ESPN's FPI and all of this stuff, that the best chance to make the national championship out of the Pac-12, and it's only at like 35, well, the playoff is only at like 35%. 
who who do you think can make it? Do you think either one of them can make it? Um, I like Oregon more right now. Uh, they're just a more, I think, well-rounded team. But I still feel like Washington has a chance to go eleven and one, and obviously that would mean a victory over Oregon. Um, I mean, I hate to be I hate to be wishy washy and not like go out and make any predictions that I would then have to like sneak onto the field and tie someone's shoelaces together to make sure that they <laughs> come true. Um, but I, I do I do like to and to my own detriment I do like to stick to my original prediction and go down with the ship. So I mean I do I did have Washington coming out of the north. I had Oregon going nine and three this year. It's looking more and more like there's no way that Oregon loses three games. Like there's no way. Oh, yeah. And so they, I mean and, I, they could be and, easily be a two loss team if they don't beat Washington. But they they look very strong. And if the c- consistency is there in the coaching ranks, and if their kids don't turn to like fat, soft, whatevers like Mike Leach seems to have a problem with his kids doing then they should be fine to only have to worry about Washington. Yeah, and the the team that they the other team that they were going to have to worry about was was Cal. So I guess we'll get into the games there uh, and start with the the quarterbacks that are dropping like flies. It, it seemed like Cal had a real shot. They were undefeated. They were 4-0. and Their defense was playing well. Chase Garbers had come into his own, even though you still tried to call him a bum. And I think that after the I first half of Chase the game, Garbers. I think after the first half of the Cal-Arizona State game that you had to admit, hold up, this dude is going somewhere, that Chase Garbers had officially the light had come on for him. Uh, okay, so Chase Garbers, let's get this out of the way. Chase Garbers is not a bum. He's not a bum. He's a great kid. I had a chance to interview him a bunch. Thought he was coming to Arizona State. Would have loved to cover him as an ASU quarterback. So he he's not a bum. I said he would probably regress to the mean. Now, okay, so I have a six-year-old son. He usually does pretty well in school, but every Friday he gets in trouble. Every <laughs> single Friday. And it's just, it's become like this self-fulfilling prophecy of like, it's Friday, he's going to make someone mad. Whether it's his like music teacher or in the library, he's going to shout or something, we always get a note home on Friday. A couple of Fridays ago, he went and had like a flawless day. And like the an optimist would look at that and say like, all right, like we're out of the woods. But to me, I looked at it and said like, all right, like the odds are the next Friday is still gonna be pretty rough. Like that's the way that I look at it is, is like the pattern will usually win out. And so coming into this Arizona State game, I felt like that would be the case. Did he outplay my expectations early on in the game? Yeah. He absolutely outplayed my expectations early on in the game. Did Cal do anything about the, that? No. I mean, they still didn't even get a chance weren't... to play in the second half, Ralph. I, I and, and, and Arizona State fans, your, your cronies – want an apology for me and and for me to like for me to uh for me to apologize and, and say that I was wrong. I was not wrong. I can't help a quarterback getting hurt. And and with Devin Monster, Devin Monster is horrendous. He is horrendous. I mean everything that everything that you think, everything that everybody thought Chase Chase Garbers was, he is an all American and NFL first round pick compared to Devin Monster. It, he went five for 14. He threw a pick right before halftime 
on a wide open touchdown. It was a wide open touchdown. He underthrew the ball so far that the um, that Arizona State was able to intercept it. I give credit to Arizona State for winning the the game for doing enough to win it. But but here is what I do want to apologize for Arizona State fans. I do want to apologize for doubting Eno Benjamin, for not putting him in my top five Pac-12 players coming offensive players coming into the season. I had him at he's a bad I had man, him at huh? Six. You can't tackle this dude in a well, you can't tackle him in a phone booth because Arizona State doesn't block for him. But he had 29 carries, 100 yards, <laughs> three touchdowns, and probably out of those 29 carries, and this is a conservative estimate, and probably right on target, probably 21 of those carries, he was touched in the backfield. Touched by somebody from the opposing team in the backfield, and he made people miss. Got back to the line of scrimmage, just fought hard for yards. He, I don't know how great he's going to be in the NFL, but what I do know is this. The kid is electric. He makes people miss. He adds value to Arizona State, and without him, his particular skill set, they don't beat Cal. They don't beat Michigan State. They don't beat anybody because Jaden Daniels right now, 14 uh, attempts, 20, uh, well, 20, 24 attempts, 14 completions, 174 yards. I mean, Cal's defense is strangling. And their offensive line was able to get some time some, sometimes. And the Cal coaches were surely upset because they left way too many people wide open. Yeah, I mean, I, I do want to swing back to your whole point of, like, that Chase Garbers didn't have a chance to play in the second half. Maybe he comes out and does something. We don't know. You can't, you definitely can't say that he would have. And here's why. Do you know how many points Cal has scored in the fourth quarter this year? Including the Arizona State game? How many? 13. Do you know when that one touchdown they scored came? Against UC Davis. They had Oh, one. yeah, it was. Because yeah. they were up 20 to nothing yeah. first. And then they, yep. They they have not scored they have not scored a touchdown in the fourth quarter since the opening week against an FCS team. So it's not like and, and that includes last week when they really could have used some breathing room against Ole Miss. And so to say that, you know, so I, I will give you maybe they score on that drive that he goes down. Maybe. But he also got sacked on that drive. Like, I'm not going to say he, he, he oh, got himself so hurt, that, but he did get caught. So that wide open, that wide open touchdown that, that Garbert, that monster threw a pick before halftime. Can you admit that that would have either been a touchdown or at least a field goal attempt? But, but most likely a touchdown. It would have been better if he was in the game, but he wasn't in the game because he didn't judge the defender correctly and he ended up with a shoulder injury because of it. So like oh. it, it, that's partially on him. There's a wide open space. Either work harder to get to the sideline or get rid of that ball. If there's nothing down the field, he had the ball for too long, right? He doesn't deserve to be blamed for his own injury, but that's not a good play. That's not a good, you can't come out and say, Oh, good play by chase Garbers to get sacked on the Arizona state sideline. It wasn't. And so, I mean, I, I feel like, a, and and may, you know what? Maybe Monster is everything that you said he is, or maybe 
Arizona State's defense to this point is actually good at what they do. They are the only team. No, stop, dude. I cannot wait until they play a good okay. offense. I can't wait till they play a good offense. They haven't played a good offense yet. Would you agree with that? Well, uh, Colorado got them pretty good. But I will say this. There, there are two oh, teams yeah, yeah, in yeah, the true. country, two teams in the country that have two top 25 wins. One of them is Auburn. One of them is Arizona State. So at some point, we're going to have to come around to the fact that, like, Arizona State is going to be in games no matter what. And unless you have the ability to close out or do something about it, they're going to be a problem. And that's what happened at, at Cal on, on Friday. I don't know that they would have all of the sudden scored more points than they had in the second half. In the first half, if it was a repeat performance, they would have ended up with 14 points instead of 17. So I yeah, can't. And, and, and I'll tell you, I, I am a little bit as high as everybody knows I've been on, on the Cal defense, and they still do an amazing job. At By that same token, because my, my, mind you, they have only allowed 13, 19, 17, 20, and 17 on the entire season. And even within that, though, their defense has been sketchy at times. Like, they've allowed a lot of big plays, but they haven't allowed those plays to translate into touchdowns or points at times. Right. They, uh, and ASU did miss two field goals. It could have been worse. ASU missed two field goals in that game. Correct. And so, so th- there was an opportunity for, like, there was a few times Cal didn't get any pressure. Their DBs lost track of Arizona State guys. Jaden Daniels is running around. And the takers in the secondary, they just did not have a good enough game to be able to fade their quarterback being hurt. Like they needed to add more. And Cal was not able to run the ball as effectively as they needed to. Because you have Christopher... And you had Dancy. Dancy made a couple nice plays, but at the end of the day, like they weren't as effective running the ball as they needed to be. If uh, if if Garbers is out for an extended period of time, and the fact that we haven't heard anything about it is kind of concerning. Um, oh, dude, dude, if he's out for an extended well. period of time, do you open this competition up and say like, "Hey, Spencer Brad"? Yes! I know you're as skinny as Jaden Daniels, but like, let's challenge sponsors. What do you mean? And see what there, you there's nothing else that you you have to. This kid is not good. He wasn't good at UCLA. He wasn't. He's not good at Cal. I mean, this was a really, really poor performance by by him. There's no no other way to say it. And here's the truth. Here's the here is the. Everybody knows how much I like Cal. Their coaching staff and all that. They are shorthanded in terms of depth and talent. They just coach up a bunch of two and three star guys until they can continue to recruit. They had a better recruiting class this year. They'll continue to get better recruiting classes. But here is the nuts and bolts of it. Cal came into this game 4-0. They're now 4-1. and And Chase Garbers, it clearly looks like he probably has a collarbone or a significant shoulder injury to I think it's throwing shoulder right yeah I mean even at the the probably the least bad thing that can happen to your throwing shoulder is an AC joint and that's four weeks so the reality is Cal making a bowl game 
doesn't look real right now. Aside, I mean, they may get a win. Actually, they'll probably get a win against Oregon State because Oregon State couldn't even beat a toothless uh, Stanford. Toothless. So, 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 and Cal was getting ready to have game day. That it was going to be Cal versus Oregon. Game day was going to go to that game, but then Garbers gets gets hurt and they lose. They'll probably beat Oregon State. They're not winning at Utah with Monster at quarterback. Not with not beating Washington State because they won't be able to score enough points. Uh, they're the only way they'll be able to beat USC is if well because USC already can't run the foot football. Cal's defense is good. They'll be able to be good in the secondary. They might get a pick six. Though they might be able to beat USC, they'll probably lose to Stanford. Well, actually, Stanford's offense is bad too, so that that'll be a toss up. They are going to be fighting to be in a bowl game right now. They were going, they were a nine or possible ten win team, and now they're staring at maybe missing at, at five and seven. Man, what happened to the Devin Monster from the 2017 Cactus Bowl? Like that was a guy that looked like he could play football. Uh, was it? Was it just that Kansas State didn't was preparing for Rosen and they got a little bit of a surprise or what? Because this is, I mean, he he looks like he can't play the position now. Oh yeah, yeah. Part I think part of it is confidence, but another part of it is just that he just looks overwhelmed. Yeah, he doesn't. Yeah, he just looks way overwhelmed by the situation. Um, the next game up, which was another. Good game that I lost as well. The, not all of these losses were my fault. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I can say that they weren't my fault. I I I picked the teams that were supposed to win, and it just did not go that way for circumstances beyond my control. But the game that I did get right, USC Washington, USC twenty eight. Washington 14. This was uh, the number 17 team versus the number 21 team. And truthfully, USC, they they had uh, Hafunga, their number one uh, DB out. He's their leading tackler on the team. They were missing uh, um, Elijah Griffin, who's their best corner. They were missing. I mean, dude, th- they were the walking wounded. They're down to quarterbacks. They were down to Matt Fink. And he did not play very well at all. A TD, three picks, and two of the picks were just atrocious. And, and this is actually, USC was actually able to run the ball a little better than I thought they were. They ran for 212 yards, 6.4 yards a carry, which is their best of the season, really. And I, like Washington just easily controlled this, this game, and they looked like the better team from start to finish. Yeah, it's a pretty bizarre thing when you can go into uh, Seattle, put 200 rushing yards on the board, and come out having been completely dominated. Um, that big run by Ahmed was a backbreaker. I mean, they weren't going to – once it became a two-score lead, it was like this team. Like, the the way that Washington – you and I said the way – that Washington was going to defend USC going into this game wasn't going to be conducive to trying to go over the top uh, the way that that worked last week. So, um, I mean, this this went exactly the way we thought it would, right? Uh, there's There was nothing about this game that felt like a surprise. 
to me. Uh, Matt Fink throwing three interceptions. That's the second time this year that a USC quarterback has thrown three interceptions. And now we're in this really weird place of like, what's the best thing for USC to do at quarterback? They both have a win that people didn't necessarily expect. Um, They both have followed that up with a three interception game. Assuming that Keaton Slovis is healthy, what's the decision? Because uh, I don't know. What would you do? What are you talking about? This is an easy decision for me. I'm going with Slovis because Slovis, he won the one game, and then he comes back and and goes to BYU and loses a game, and I blame that a lot on the coaches. I think that they wanted to protect him too much. They didn't let him push the ball down downfield. But Fink, Fink is relying on these receivers too much. He just is throwing the ball up, just throwing it up, just just because, because he's. Can not- we, can we at the Pac-12 Apostles podcast? Can we send a collective middle finger up to BYU uh, for what happened oh, to them this week? To, to Toledo, yeah. Oh gosh, I mean, like, what are you doing? Like, you are a saboteur. It it is almost like every single. So the Pac-12 was finally getting respect. Five teams ranked, six teams ranked. You know, uh, people saying the S- the AC realizing the ACC is weak, the bottom of the SEC is weak. The the Big Ten is questionable. The Big Twelve has two teams. Like people were recognizing the Pac-12, and then Cal is undefeated. Quarterback gets gets hurt. BYU BYU loses to Toledo. I mean, it was just a a catastrophe for the Pac-12 this weekend. Man, Toledo better win out. And they could, but I swear on my life they better win out because that looks awful right now. Oh, yeah. What did you think about Jacob Eason, though, against USC? And USC's secondary was depleted. And he went 16 for 26, 180 yards. This is his second terrible game this year. He had a terrible game against Cal. And then he had another terrible game against USC. I'm looking at this with like, mm-hmm, told you so, Ralph. Told you so. The, the, like the kid is uh, we got we, We're going to keep going back and forth on this. Inconsistency is an issue right now. Would you? So you're 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 standing up on the hill that this is a terrible game for him. Yes. I mean, this is he. This is Jaden Daniels' stat line. That's what this is. The, did enough the, to get the, the win difference and threw for the, like less than 200 yards did not turn the ball over the difference is Jaden daniels is a true freshman who has no offensive line and and, and he yeah, yeah and they weren't able to run the ball a lot of times Jaden daniels is just getting by if Jaden daniels were a sophomore or junior having already started multiple seasons and this is what he was putting out what would you be saying about him um, I am concerned that he does not seem to be the one that can dictate his will because my what what he is doing does not match up with what I painted him to be. It's making me look ridiculous. So I would prefer that he step it up <laughs> at this point in time. Um, I I, I do want to point out Washington for uh, Sal Salvan Ahmed. They're running back, seventeen carries, one hundred fifty three yards, and a touchdown. 80 89 yard long i said at some point in time because the kid is fast he's fast fast when that he was going to break loose 
have a big game, have a big long run, because this kid is always one tackle away from breaking breaking loose, going to the house. Yeah, he's he's fun. I mean, I, I, I again, he's not he's not a star, but I mean, if if you're gonna leave a running lane open for him, it's over. And you need that. Oh, yeah. You need that if you're Washington right now. You you need the the home run threat out of the backfield to be considered a complete team because Oregon has that. So, um, you know, it maybe not in the sense of a traditional running back at Oregon, but like you can get somebody on a bubble at Oregon and it can and then they could take it yeah. in the yards. Um, Washington, I don't feel like has that outside of what he was able to display. It's encouraging that they beat the snot out of BYU without him. But I mean, the fact that he was back and ready to go against USC is very encouraging. Yeah, I totally agree with that. But and but to answer your question, who USC should go with? I'm going with Slovis because Fink has back to back games where he was just kind of chunking the ball up. I mean, he chunked the ball up against yeah. Utah too. It it was it wasn't a you you know how some sometimes you watch quarterbacks and you're like, wow, that dude passed the ball really well. He was hitting he was hitting you know, small windows, making throws that are difficult to make. And sometimes you see a quarterback, they're underthrown balls, and the receivers are actually doing all the work. That's what I thought there. Man, they might have to paper, rock, scissors, and whoever loses is the starter because Notre Dame sacked Bryce Perkins like nine times last week. <laughs> Notre Dame's defensive line is is yeah, psychotically good this year. Real. Yeah, they are. So uh, I mean, it it might be like a, a a loser starts type deal, flip a coin, because that I'm I'm I I do think that they have a chance against Notre Dame, um, especially if they're going to actually have the ability to run the ball. Uh, but my God, did they get after Bryce? Per- like that that was that was eye opening to me, and and that's going to be in South Bend. Um, whoever starts that game needs to be whole. So it might end up having to be Matt Fink if if there's any doubt at all that Keaton Slovis's wits are about him, you know? Yeah, yeah. If his melon is still mushy, don't put him out there. Um, oh my lord, a game that I lost to. I felt so bad about this because I went out on a limb and I actually kind of contradicted my myself. So this is what I get. On the podcast, I picked Oregon State to beat Stanford. Stanford ended yeah. up winning 31 to 28. But a couple days later, on well, actually on Friday, I was doing the Petros and Money show on 570 AM here. And that same day, we find out that Devin Williams, who was a former five-star recruit, was leaving USC and transferring to Oregon State. Well, actually, we found out on Thursday that he was supposed to be transferring to Oregon State. They put him on the roster, all of this stuff. And then Friday, we find out from his Twitter account that he's enrolling in Oregon, which is where he should have been from the beginning. But he decided to go to USC. He wanted to be closer to home. He had some family stuff going on, and but he knew he should have been with the Ducks to begin with. And I thought, and, and I believe he walked on at Oregon because they didn't have a scholarship available, and then they'll have a scholarship available for him in the fall. Like wow. that's how, and and I tweeted out. I said it's not even the weekend yet, and Oregon State is already taking L's. And so that's what I get. I picked Oregon State to win, and then I contradicted my myself because because the tweet was freaking funny. 
and then I lost, <laughs> and then I lost to to Stanford, a toothless Stanford. This was bad, man. This was bad. I thought this was a slam dunk. Yeah, I uh, I was holding my breath there for a minute. I mean, the this Oregon State offense when it turns it on is is special. I mean, in that fourth quarter, I don't know. I don't really know what was going on for Stanford there. Like, I don't know where it, it it sort of slipped away from them because Stanford's not really a team that plays to protect the lead anyway. They're pretty good at choking people out, right? Like, uh, I, I don't know how this happened, but Oregon State went off in that fourth quarter to the point where the fact that Stanford even had anything left to go on a game-winning drive was wild to me. And I do want to give a shout out to rivals number one overall quarterback in the country, uh, Davis Mills, who finally got a chance to show his stuff um, over the course of a full game that they actually put something together and won. Uh, I don't think we're in any position where there's any type of quarterback controversy at all. But it's nice for Stanford to know that if they have to go that route, that they can actually, you know, move the ball a little bit with with him under center. Um I had said that this is the game where uh, where Cameron Scarlett was finally going to, you know, it was going to be a get healthy game for him. It did not go that way. Uh, uh, he didn't. He did not have a very good game at all. Twenty four carries for ninety two yards, um, but they they did enough. Um, uh, this Oregon State team just can't stop anyone, and they can't stop anyone when it matters. Uh, take away that great offensive performance in the fourth quarter, um, you know. And it was mostly an Artavis Pierce game. Uh, Jamar Jefferson only had four carries. I don't know if he got hurt or what was going on with him. Um, but our Artavis Pierce is also a very, very good running back. And he had a really, really good fourth quarter. Yeah. Yeah, dude. And and it actually, yeah, it, it was not a good situation for Oregon State because this game was teed up for them. Like this, this, this game was... This game was everything. It was sitting right on, at, like they had the game at their fingertips. Stanford was 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 down. They weren't having a. They're not having a good good season. Oh, man, dude, this was so bad. This was so so bad. Can oh, we, man, I I I just knew that this was going to be a win. Can we talk about uh, Oregon State's leading receiver? Champ uh, Flemings uh, <laughs> again. Out of five, five, oh, five, yeah. five guys. man. Okay, so so a look. So yeah, he caught five five receptions, sixty four yards. Isaiah Hodgins, though, he did have ten for one sixty two, and he was part of on, on Unafraid Show. We did the the uh, Pac twelve offensive players, like the 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 players that could win offensive player of the year right at at so far at that point the top five candidates and he was on that list he's on yeah. that list because he is having a special special season and along with him obviously you got justin justin herbert and this was put out before this saturday you had anthony gordon on there but i think he's going to be out of the question because washington state's kind of falling apart um you had Aesop e- winston from washington state Jacob Eason at Washington, who fell apart this weekend too, and Isaiah Hodgins. So a- after this weekend, the only two people left standing to me are Herbert, who didn't play, and Hodgins from Oregon State. Because who else are you going to choose to be offensive player of the year right now? 
And I think that he has a pretty good chance. Hodgins has a pretty good chance to put together an absolutely ridiculous season numbers wise, because I mean, it, they're going to be down a lot. So, um, but you also might, if, if Jefferson or Pierce keep going on, you know, off every single game, you might bleed some, bleed some attention away, but he's, it's weird. It's weird. Cause Oregon state has genuine stars on their team. But the rest of the glue that's holding it together is Elmer's glue and not super glue. Um, <laughs> you know, Hamilcar Rashad, five sacks in four games on any other team in the Pac-12. Everybody knows his name. Yeah. Um, but on this team, it's just garbage time stats, right? So I don't know. They, they, they really need to find a way to get some play. It, maybe they can keep hey, – obviously the, the Devin Williams thing didn't work out in their favor – um, but they need to be the team that ends up with transfers, whether, you know, um, Lane Kiffin style, you know, West Coast bounce backs need to be headed to Corvallis. They got to find yep, some way to close true. that talent gap. I mean, th- th- that that's when they got good, when they had Chad Johnson, TJ Hushmanzada, uh, you know, and then they yeah. got Steven Jackson right after that. So that was how they got, got good. But what did you think about Davis Mills? 245, three touchdowns. And like Stanford still does not look look good. This does not look like a good football team or a team going to a bowl game. So, what what was your takeaway yeah. from them? Well, Davis Mills by this point in his career should be ready to justify his rating as the best quarterback in his entire recruiting class. Um, I mean, Davis Mills was ranked above some pretty good players. Uh, you know. Uh, Jake Fromm. He was ranked above Jake Fromm. Uh, so, you know, it, it would be, it, 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 he was ranked 10 spots ahead of Jay, Chase Garbers. So this is some, you'd like to see him come in and actually like handle business and not be a game manager. Um, but again, he, he was the number one ranked pro style quarterback from a class that overall was probably pretty pretty weak outside of Jake Fromm. I mean, Hunter Johnson was number two and now he's out at Northwestern basically, you know, running the ball every single time. Dylan McCaffrey was in there. Tristan Jebby has already transferred. Um, you know, so they're not a lot of really, really great quarterbacks, but he was the best and he does not look like, he doesn't look like a five-star. He doesn't look like a number one overall guy. He looks like somebody who's sort of just a game manager and that could be fine for them if they can surround him with the athletes they need to play Stanford football. But as you and I have talked about over and over and over again, it, it's not looking like that. Oh, it looks it looks like Stanford is dead. Like for the, like that that they had their run, had their shot, and it's over right now. That's what it lo- looks like. But the final game on the slate that we needed to talk about was, uh, even though we already kind of hit on it a little bit, was Utah crushing Washington State. I thirty eight yeah. to thirteen. I looked at this game like Washington State let let UCLA beat them twice like that, that that they couldn't get over the mental hurdle. They were still so stunned, embarrassed, all of that, that they couldn't gather themselves this week. And they lost the football game basically before it even started. Yeah. I mean, this is weird, right? Because it, what would it take from Tyler Huntley for you to say like, Oh, Tyler Huntley went out and won this game without saying, Washington State lost the game. You know, what do you need to see from him beyond 21 of 30 for 334 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, and, you know, 
two touchdowns on the ground. That's as good as anyone can possibly play. He won, he, uh, to me, he won this game. He was better than the entire Washington State team. He's definitely better than Anthony Gordon um, in, in this head-to-head matchup, you know, whether that projects to the next level, you know, oh, whatever. Yeah. But this was the best game I've ever seen Tyler Huntley play. This was the, the reason why it was the best game that you've ever seen him play is because it was the best game he's ever played. That's why. He was electric. He was throwing balls on the run. I remember he was getting ready to go scramble and then launch the ball down the left sideline for a strike, for like a 40-yard pass. I was like, who is this mass man? He must have heard the he must have heard the, the the rumors about him that the reason why they lost the game to USC was because he can't hack it offensively and he's limited. He was like, listen, I don't care nothing about it. He was putting up I mean, like, these are damn near Jalen Hurts numbers at Oklahoma. Oklahoma's offense is just even better. That's what he did. It was very impressive. And Anthony Gordon, good Lord, from the second half of the USC, from the second half of the UCLA game to now, he doesn't look very good. And mind you, I've not been a big, huge Anthony Gordon supporter, only because that there were to, he was running Mike Leach's system. But even in that, he didn't have the same pizzazz and 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 energy that Gardner Minshew had. And it, Washington State was unable to run the football. They couldn't stop the run. They couldn't stop the pass. And Utah just literally handed the ball to whoever they wanted to, whether it was Henry Cole, Huntley, Brumfield, uh, Jason Shelley even came in, Wilmore, Vickers, Dixon. Simpkins, whoever the hell they gave the ball to, they did what they wanted to to do. This was a a all time beatdown. I mean, this was just a take take you behind the woodshed, pull you, and, and just whoop you, just just whoop you. Like they'll put you in jail. You do this to somebody right now. Yeah, um, and like we talked about the last time that Utah won this game, it was behind Star Lotelay and a super good defensive line. And that's what Utah has again this year. And uh, you can you can be a team that gets the ball out quick. And I think he, they threw almost 50 times. Um, you're running Mike Leach's offense in this. But you're coming off of a game where you watched USC go over the top to get this win. And they're sort of trying to do the dink and dunk and play underneath. And you almost have to because you're not going to get time against this Utah line. So I think it was just stylistically, even though Washington State has come out on top, you know, four or five times in a row. Stylistically, this year, with as dominant as Utah's line was, it just wasn't going to look great for Washington State offensively. What I did not anticipate was Tyler Huntley having a Tim Tebow game. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, I mean, that that kind of wraps up the whole entire Pac-12 in terms of the, the uh, teams, the games, all of that. So now it is time for our Pac-12 power rankings. And Ralph, I know that you are going to be stunned at, at mine, but g- guess what? It is okay. But I will let you start out first with your with with, with your first half. Uh, with my my first half, gosh. Um, <laughs> okay, so here we go. First half, uh, I got Oregon State at twelve, UCLA at eleven, Stanford at ten, Washington State at nine. Arizona at eight, 
Cal at seven. Okay, that's that's actually not horrible. That's not horrible, Ralph. Your 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 order's a little jacked up, but but I like the fact I so your your bottom seven, your your seven to twelve is the same exact teams as my seven to twelve, just a different order. I got Oregon State at number twelve in the Judah spot. I got Stanford at number eleven. Yes, Stanford won, but they only beat Oregon State by three points. This is a game that Oregon State could have won. I got Washington State at 10. They looked terrible against Utah, and they just lost to UCLA. I got UCLA at 9, because this looks like a team headed in the right direction if Dorian Thompson Robinson is healthy. And obviously, they just beat Washington State. I think they'll beat Stanford. They can beat Oregon State. This just is what it is right, right now. I got Arizona in the 8 spot. And I got Cal at number seven. That's who I got. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty similar. Um, the rest of mine is a mess that I don't feel great about. And actually, I, I will tell you <laughs> that I just switched my uh, – and then the more I think about it, I just switched my five and six, which won't be great for a lot of my followers. But coming in at number six, I've got Arizona State, followed by USC at five. Colorado at four, which I feel terrible about for some reason. Um, Utah at three, Washington at two, and Oregon at one is how I finish up my power rankings this week. Ralph, that that is not bad, but I am going to switch your five and six with my five and six. I got USC at six, Arizona State at five, Colorado at four, which obviously you don't feel good about because their defense is woo. Why would you feel good about having Colorado as the fourth best team in the conference right now? I mean, that just coming out of your mouth sounds weird, but uh, offensively they did the job when they had the chance. We'll see how they do next week, but um, having a week off was the best thing to happen for this team because everybody else, everybody else like eats their own tail and it just leaves Colorado sitting there for a week. Yep, and then Utah at three, Washington at two, Washington at two, and Oregon at one. I I, I don't think that this is the worst thing ever. <laughs> I think that that the conference is still in good in good shape. And obviously, yeah. Oregon and Washington are kind of leading the way, and you know they still have a chance to make the playoffs. But but Ralph, the 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 last thing before we get out of here though the so with the Pac-12 power rankings, you look at Colorado. Colorado looks like a team, even though that they are good, they look like a team that is not, you know, that is not necessarily going to stay in that spot going going forward. True, but with so many backup quarterbacks in the mix, because this is the whole thing, right? To beat Colorado, you just go score more points in them because they don't start quickly. Um, their offense can move the ball, but if you can outscore them, you should be fine. But the thing that's looking up for Colorado right now is that Arizona State's got a freshman quarterback. USC's on their third-string quarterback. Devin Monster is playing for Cal. Arizona is starting a freshman at this point in time. Stanford has had two different games where their backup has, has, to, has had to play, and Dorian Thompson-Robinson is is uh, potentially injured. He did not look good uh, with, with coming out of that game. He was limping 
around on the sidelines when I saw him. And so uh, the, the, the thing, the best thing that could work out in Cal's favor is that other teams also can't really score. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. But we, we want to thank you guys for listening to the PAC 12 apostles. We appreciate your time. Appreciate your energy. Make sure you guys share the podcast with a friend. Tell a, uh, yeah, because it's the best damn college football Pac-12 podcast around. The next episode will be out on Thursday per the usual. Thank you guys. Peace out. Catch you guys later.